Hello, and welcome back to Anti-Monitor. This week, we've got part two of our Troma Spectacular, as we delve into the charming and gruesome Toxic Avenger. But first, we pay tribute to Hollywood legend Gene Wilder, who passed away this week, honoring the legacy of one of the funniest guys in Tinseltown. So, grab a towel and a mop, because we're going to be sweating to the moldies. You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. Yes, in fact, it is true. It's Anti-Monitor time again. My name's Matt, Birdman Fleming, and across the table from me is Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com and aspiring health spa janitor. It's true. I'm working out right now. I, I know that you would rather clean up sweat than actually sweat. Uh, well, I'll tell you, Bert, I would rather prefer to mop up crime <laughs> and put a hernia on uh, corruption. Oh, oh. Man, I like that. Uh, or rather give corruption a hernia. That didn't come out right. That's okay. I That's can hear your body talk. Thank you. Uh, as most of you know, if you listened last week, we are taking a little break from the uh, heady world of Hollywood. Mm. And dipping our toes into Tromaville. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is part two. Uh, last week we found out that Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD is a <laughs> lot more challenging <laughs> to uh, wrap one's brain around. Yeah. <laughs> but thankfully this week we had our, our uh, cake and we will eat it too. Oh, absolutely. This was a sumptuous feast. Uh, but before we uh, talk about our main feature, uh, we've got a little bit of a somber appetizer. It's true. Um we're recording uh, a little bit earlier in the week. This week we're recording on Monday, and we received the news via everyone on the internet mm -hmm. this morning. Gene Wilder passed away at 83. That's right. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. I don't know about you, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of positive associations with Gene Wilder from my childhood. I think everyone does. Uh, anyone who doesn't is probably either just too uh, too young or dumb. Or a mixture of both. Mixture of both. <laughs> now, we could, you know, there's a laundry list of classics. Mm -hmm. You know, he had collaborations with some of the greatest of all time. Yes. Richard Pryor. Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner. Mel Brooks. Uh, but for you, Jared, mm. what... You always come back to when you need a fix for that Gene Wilder sweetness. Well, I've always adored Gene Wilder, as everyone did. One of my, I mean, the easy one is Young Frankenstein, but I'm not going there because when something like this happens, you have to reach deep to remind yourself why you, you love these entertainers as much as you do. And um, I reached back to a, uh, a little film that was made in 1972 by one... Woody Allen, um, an adaptation of a book written by a sex doctor by the name of David Rubin. That film was called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, But We're Afraid to Ask. Not too many times you see an asterisk in a film title. One of my favorite Woody Allen uh, films, period. 
but I think the um, the film as an anthology works because you have these really wonderful actors interspersed throughout. Um, so you'll watch something with like Louise Lasser, who was in a lot of Woody Allen films at the time. Then all of a sudden this uh, segue comes out titled, What is Sodomy? And then the first person you see is Gene Wilder. And you're like, where the hell is this going to go? Um, that segment um, where <laughs> Gene Wilder plays a med medical doctor who is met by an Armenian shepherd um, who has a dilemma and for some reason went and saw a doctor in the United States. That makes <laughs> and, sense. And said, I, doctor, it, it, it's the best. This is why Woody Allen's awesome. It's the best uh, setup for a joke. A man walks into a doctor's office with a sheep. And he says, doctor, you have to help me. I have fallen in love with a sheep. Now, the first response Gene Wilder has in this moment is, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon? And then the man says rather plainly, I have fallen in love with a sheep. What makes Gene Wilder so special to me was what followed in those next 15, 20 seconds. It, it felt like 10 years, but his silence, like he's, <laughs> he sits up, he bristles. His eyes start darting around the room. He's looking for the words that just aren't there. And every second that uh, succeeds the last is absolute hilarity. What are you doing? Oh, just nothing. You're not doing just nothing. You were fondling your lamb's wool sweater. <laughs> I was not fondling my lamb's wool sweater. What would I do something like that for? So if I had to pick one uh, Gene Wilder work that I could keep with me in the time capsule forever and ever, it would be um, the strangely titled What is Sodomy uh, segment from Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. But what about you, Bird? Well, you know, you, uh, you said that Young Frankenstein was the easy option. I don't think that's the case. Mm. I think the easy, uh, the cop-out choice is uh, Willy Wonka. Oh, Willard Wonka. But... The reason I bring that up is because, for me, it is always a fight between Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Wow, yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, two of my favorite movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Two movies that I own. Two movies that I'm probably going to watch tonight. Oh, yeah, that that's due. And Gene Wilder was always a very subtle comedian. Very uh, playful with his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't take much, just widening of his eyes, mm -hmm. and he uh, and he could make people crack up. Yeah. Of course, being a child of the '80s, I also was a huge fan of seeing him and Richard Pryor yeah. do anything together. Yeah. They were one of the most dynamic duos in comedy in the '80s, um, and now it's sad that they're both passed. Of course, Richard Pryor quite um, well before. Well before. And, uh, you know, you brought up Gilda Radner earlier. Um, recently, I, when I was on the road, we stopped through Louisville, Kentucky, and I saw in person for the first time one of the Gilda's Clubs. Mm. They have one in downtown Louisville. Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the amount of love and sweetness that Gene Wilder had for Gilda Radner yeah. um, was always very touching. And he's been a big advocate uh, through his uh, last 20 years or so, 30 years, really, mm -hmm. um, for cancer awareness and things like that. And uh, he's, he's going to leave a huge mark as far as legendary comedian and 
a guy who you've never heard anything bad about. Sure. But what's your go-to movie, Bird? It's Young Frankenstein. Uh, would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. It's just Young Frankenstein. It's, it's Young Frankenstein number one, number two, Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. And I mean... I'll always watch Willy Wonka. Hey, That's... if I get a number two, I want to pick a number two. Well, what's your number two? Well, it's going to be Young Frankenstein then. See? Because it's that easy. Because it's so easy. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about an electrifying performance. I mean, of all the ones you could think of off the top of your head, Gene Wilder in that film has to be amongst them all. His energy is what uh, moves this film forward. It's the propulsion engine for this entire movie. Everyone else is great in it, but it's Gene Wilder who is the linchpin. And uh, not many actors can pull that off then. They can't, very little can pull that off now. I could think of like maybe two actors who have the charisma, the raw charisma of Gene Wilder. And one of them is Robert Downey Jr. And the other is a very old Tom Cruise, I suppose. But in terms of just like someone who could walk into a room and light it up by his sheer presence, Gene Wilder was it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and, you know, it's like, you, it's like I keep saying, the list is... Is long. It's not as uh, dauntingly long as some other actors' filmographies. Mm -hmm. But I last year I watched the original uh, Mel Brooks production of The Producers yeah. for the first time. Yeah. I had only seen the musical adaptation from 2005 or whatever. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, oh boy, it's funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. Still, yep, to this day. I mean, there's like, I mean, a lot of that can be said about uh, Brooks's uh, teleplay or uh, stage play, um, and then the film that he made, and just the, the gold that he struck just writing that entire premise and then seeing it through because he's a master joke teller. Um, but really, uh, Gene Wilder and Zero, help me with his name. Oh, uh, Zero Mostel. Mostel, that's right. Uh, gentleman from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. That's right. Um, uh, these two guys together had um, this uh, chemistry that worked with the play, uh, the, the script itself, uh, with uh, Mel Brooks pushing things along. It's just one of those little pieces of perfection that has been replicated so many times now. Like, the producers is a self-perpetuating Broadway machine now. Mm -hmm. Like, all you have to do is just, like, stunt cast now. It's like, uh, Larry David and David Schwimmer. Like, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> but in reality, that's kind of what it is now. You, they just stuff two random, vaguely New Yorkian looking types up on the stage. And it's like, that's the producers. Yep. That, there it is. Because the, the alchemy of that project is so pure. It, it really is something. Let's assume, just for the moment, that you are a dishonest man. Assume away. Gene Wilder also had a little bit of a streak of uh, directing as well. It's true. Um, one of my favorite uh, movies growing up, mm -hmm. which is another hodgepodge of uh, homage. It's an homage to Universal-style like uh, monster movies and um, old-school radio play. And it's got Don DeLuise and a bunch of other actors. Haunted Honeymoon. That's right. Haunted, ha Haunted he Honeymoon. He did direct that, he didn't he? He wrote and directed oh, that. You used to love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. That was that was one of those that would come on when when Comedy Central didn't have all the original programming. Mm -hmm. Haunted Honeymoon would come on a Saturday afternoon and I would just be like, all right, well, I didn't have plans because I'm 15. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sit here and watch this. I uh, used to talk about, I remember when we worked at that video store way back when, and uh, you used to talk about how we didn't have that movie and how I needed to order that movie. Mm -hmm. I never did do that. It lives in that weird, like, uh, 
80s horror spoof uh, land with like mm-hmm. Transylvania 65,000 and such like that. Yeah. But much more earnest and, sure. and sweet. Well, on a final tack, uh, speaking of earnest, uh, did you ever see that documentary did Expo? Narrated by uh, Alec Baldwin. No, I didn't. Okay. So I actually got the chance to watch this a few years back when I was living in North North Carolina. Um, Gene Wilder speaks about just magic and the artistry of magic with like such wonder in his eyes. Like this is just stuff that he's into and stuff that he he promoted in his retirement. But like when you hear him talk about it, there's something, uh, it's like listening. It's like reading Roger Ebert's film reviews. Like they're, there's something about, you know, them being gone that you uh, you look back on those words and you're like, holy cow, these people like stood for their craft. They really did. And it was really something because at the at, at the end of the day, Gene Wilder was a performer. The man was an entertainer. He wasn't an actor. He wasn't a mogul. He wasn't, a, you know, some wannabe philanthropic do-gooder. He was simply a performer. And he did... Uh... He did his best to entertain us and millions more. So here's one to uh, Mr. Gene Wilder. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. All right. Now that that sad bit of business is over with, mm-hmm. it's time for us to uh, get, get back into the yucks. Time to get silly. It's uh, to as silly as it gets here. <laughs> uh, Trauma Entertainment, is if they're known for one single movie, one property... Mm-hmm. It's this one, The Toxic Avenger. This is the Citizen Kane of Toxic, uh, or excuse me, Trauma Films. And the next time you're in danger or in need of help, look to the horizon and maybe, just maybe, The Toxic Avenger will be there. Watching this again, I haven't seen this since. <sighs> Last time I saw it was probably six years ago. I've watched the sequels far more frequently. Um, four being the most, three being the least. Two being the second most, only because it takes place in Japan and it just doesn't make any fucking sense. It's bewildering to watch. We have to watch it again. I was really pumped about watching this movie. Like, stoked. I was like vibrating in my chair. Because that classic trauma energy is alive in this movie. And not only that, though, there's like some radicalism in there. Hidden just a little bit under the layer, but it is there. It is when Lloyd Kaufman, when he was standing for something beyond, you know, just saying that he stands for stuff as he did in later films. It's like in uh, Terror Firma, they do a laundry list of all the times that Lloyd Kaufman was younger and actually was like, no, we're going to depict this because damn it, I have a right to. And that was, this was the time when he was that guy, when he was that pioneer. Um, one thing to talk about it, quite another to do it. And the Toxic Avenger is a perfect uh, uh, spotlight to uh, foist upon all of society's ills uh, through the prism of just sheer inanity. Mm-hmm. I think a simpler way to put it, <laughs> the Toxic Avenger is one of the purest forms of horror parody. Yeah. Because you take, and it's so 80s, mm-hmm. you take the 80s trope of, uh, you know, babes and bros <laughs> in the health spa. Yeah, the jocks versus the dweebs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Classic. Jocks versus dweebs. Um, and you just ramp everything up. So you... If you look at movies like the horror movie uh, Death Club, I think it's called, where the word health club is turned into death yeah, club. but like with that fake spray paint is that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. And that's a movie that I've seen before because it's a very, very cheesy 
very over the top schlockfest. Schlockfest, yeah. exactly. So what the Toxic Avenger does is they take all of those tropes and then they just ramp them through the roof. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is the time when people didn't really understand things like toxic waste. Well, let's paint a picture for oh. our listeners who may not. Paint a mosaic. Paint a mosaic for those who may not have been alive at this point in time. I think I was one year old when the Toxic Adventure came out. Um, I'm so glad it entered my life. Uh, but the time, it was 1984. And New Jersey, people are talking a blue streak of how touristy it is now due to the weirdo Jersey Shore uh, reality TV show. And then, of course, this you know this certain governor tried to run for uh, president. Who's, who's now a, a walking handbag for the actual <laughs> Republican <laughs> nominee. Um, but back then, Jersey was an actual cesspool, uh, blighted with uh, uh, reported uh, sites that were used as dumping grounds for actual toxic waste. It was an environmental catastrophe at a time when the government couldn't give two shits about environment catastrophes. Um, but people who lived in New York uh, City specifically who could just look across the bay and see just like an urban wasteland. Lloyd Kaufman looked across there and said, I can make some art. And so here we have the world's first superhero from New Jersey, <laughs> the Toxic Avenger. But he wasn't always a mop-wielding agent of justice. No, he was once a mop-wielding schmuck of mushtus. He... The origin story of Toxic Avenger... It goes by like that. It go, Well, and you just feel bad for I, Melvin. No, I don't. That guy's a creep and a pervert, and he An licks idiot. glass, and he's a total buffoon who falls for practically everything that comes his way. He had a comment. Uh, well, I mean, I think that that's a little harsh. Is it? I think that he was a mild-mannered, creepy uh, idiot. Mm-hmm. Who probably ingested too many paint chips, and you know he's the kid that when mom stops to get gas, he just, just sticks his head out the window and goes. <sighs> I think when they actually went back to his house, I think it was actually under power lines. <laughs> that's, that's about right. But he's a he's a doofus, <laughs> and you know he's gullible. Yeah, and he's got the mouthful of teeth and yeah. the, the slimy hair. He's not easy to look at. That guy. Trouble. Julie, this guy, if you can't take a joke, he stinks. The brand of acting in this movie is just people contorting their faces yeah. to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And then Lloyd Kaufman probably going like, all right, can we get a little bit more yeah. out of that? I, w- I always love how he shoots reaction shots because you can tell that they're not looking at the person they're reading the lines to or the director or anybody for that matter. They're just looking kind of off camera. Um, and it's pointed at an angle where the other person couldn't possibly exist. So those reaction shots are bogus, but they're, they, they're where the real uh, facial contortions take place. Like my favorite, I mean, he's not my favorite, he was an asshole, but uh, Bozo, uh, the, the chief thug of the health spa who likes to get hammered and smoke cigarettes while he does crunches. And he's all like amped up the entire movie. He's like, I just want to kill somebody that's stressing me out. You know, this guy, like he... When I see somebody like that just operating at full tilt the entire time, he couldn't have done it on his own because he would have been exhausted before long. It took a director like Lloyd Kaufman to pull performances like that literally out of their ass at times. Keep it up, Bozo. Keep it up. But remember, there's only one muscle you got to worry about. You read stories about on-set stuff where uh, Lloyd would just like, he, 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 he didn't have a short temper. 
But he didn't have time for bullshit. He's like, we're filming on a dime. We can barely afford this as it is. So if you're fucking around on my set, I'm going to yell at you. And so, like, when people were on there, Lloyd would be like, you, loud, let's do it. And they would do it. I don't know how they got that uh, performance out, how he got that performance out of Bozo without copious amounts of cocaine. It, yeah, everyone looks lit in this movie. Everybody looks strung out. And that's kind of a running motif in the, in the movie is just mm-hmm. uh, someone goes off and does some drugs or does some excessive drinking and it leads directly to a dead kid mm-hmm. or a dead old lady mm-hmm. or toxic waste being parked outside of a yeah. health spa. Right. Uh, the, it's one of those things that you never see in real life. I've never seen a car full of empty beer cans or, you know, just like people joyriding and making out and like passing. This is movie stuff. It's so, but it's, and it's, they take the goofiness of it and they just they keep amping it up. Those, well, the, the best part of it for me is that, like, even as ridiculous as it seems, it's consistent throughout. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of the movie to the very end. There's not a movie where it, like, ebbs, like in Sergeant Kabuki Man, where it, it plateaus into, like, more conventional tropes and then goes right back into the insanity. This one is, like, top to bottom wackiness. It's like, uh, you look at the jersey that uh, Lloyd is shooting and you look at the people that inhabit it. And they're all of this place. And all the backdrops and all the scenery and how it's just shot just looks seamless throughout. It's not like... Like when they cut to like the car chasings, you could tell when they're using like, you know, a lot. And like the car is being shoved down by like, you know, extras and such who are being paid nothing just to wiggle the car. It's like, all right, we're shooting. The car's moving. But every other time, it's like, this is Tromaville. Tromaville is an actual place. And the only other time where I actually felt like Lloyd Coffin pulled that off in any of his Toxic Avenger movies was in 4. Mm-hmm. The real sequel. Um, we can come back to that one another time. But um, that energy comes from what this movie actually is. So what you, you do is you take a blender. Take a blender. You throw in those old Charles, uh, Charles Atlas ads mm-hmm. from the comics where the beanpole gets sand kicked in his face. He's like, oh boy, I wish I could take that guy down. I and then all of a sudden he becomes like a hunk and kicks some ass. A whole stack of old Daredevil and Hulk comics because, you know, you got to have the radioactive uh, uh, motif to it so the hero can have his superpowers magically bestowed upon him immediately so the plot can move forward and the mayhem can ensue. Uh, that movie Perfect with Jimmy Lee Curtis and John Travolta where they just work out in oh, an yeah, aerobic okay. studio for like a whole movie and they totally. thrust their pelvises at each other. You got to put that in there because that's a good... 25% of that movie. And then um, a vial of cocaine, unopened. It has to be full. <laughs> um, you throw all that shit in a blender and you hit frappe, that's your movie. Painted with a fine brush. We said in our last episode that Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD was probably one of the more accessible trauma movies out there. This one, to a T. Yes. You want to invite somebody into trauma, like right this way, sir, you put them through the Toxic Avenger. It's definitely Lloyd Kaufman at his most uh, strong in terms of storytelling, but also in terms of restraint, believe it or not, when you compare it to other stuff. It's true. The largesse bestowed upon the mayor, the corrupt mayor, Mm -hmm. um, is still not – it's there. It's like, yeah, look at this big, fat, corrupt dude. Um, Whereas his – Lloyd Kaufman's tendency to poke fun at the larger-bodied would – play much more active roles in his future films. Um, 
And, you know, uh, like we said with Sergeant Kabuki Man, there was unnecessary sex. There was gratuitous violence and rape. Mm -hmm. There are notes of that here. It's mm -hmm. where they press against the surface a little bit. They never go through. They, there is, it's the word you used, restraint. Mm -hmm. uh, there's implications and there's, uh, it's, it's that hammy 80s motif of like, look at the butts, look at the boobs, look at us partying. Uh-oh, we're murdered. Record scratch. Exactly. <laughs> here comes a monster. Yeah, here comes a monster. This movie owes a lot to the Friday the 13th um, series. Well, sure. I mean, uh, when did the first Friday the 13th come out? It actually came out in 1980. That's right. It was a pretty early uh, series in the 80s horror camp kind of yeah. uh, subgenre. Uh, and that's where you get a lot of tropes. You get, you see... In this movie, you see, in Toxic Avenger, you see porkies, mm -hmm. you see meatballs, yeah. you see sweating to the oldies with right. Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, with Richard Simmons. <laughs> we were talking about Richard Pryor earlier, yeah. so now all of a sudden. It's all in your brain. That's right. Uh, and you've got the stalking killer in the in the background, but instead of getting the ch 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 of Jason Voorhees, you get the, uh, uh, the kind of grrr from Toxic Avenger, but his grrr sounds like a fart in the middle of an armchair. So it really oh. does. It was a leathery oh. fart. Yeah, it really is. And then, of course, they you know they play up the idea of this being like a pure-hearted monster by giving him that really romantic, heroic mm. voice. Well, then, then, okay. So, as a hero, as a superhero, that part is so essential to the character, and they improved it in the other sequels. In this movie, they really kind of flub it in places. I, I, I don't know why they couldn't just have dubbed it, but there were times where they let the actor who played the Toxic Avenger on set actually have his voice, like, uh, especially the last line. It's like, hey, fat boy, let's see if you got any guts. It comes out of this guy's mouth, and he sounds nothing like the hero you hear out throughout the movie. Um, the heroic voice sells Toxic Avenger because he'll be, like, coming up on you, like, like this, and he'll be like, can I help you, ma'am? And it's like, what? What? And it's disorienting. It's disarming because Melvin, as much of a schmuck as he was as a human, something happens in that radioactive bath that turns him into this like, kind of like Clark Kent as superhero. He's got the build, he's but he's also got the uh, the the altruism in there. Uh, he saves children, and you know they never say it explicitly in the first film, but we find out implicitly because he kills this little old lady out of nowhere that's like a sequence of him killing all these henchmen which by the way all the best henchmen are trauma henchmen we'll talk about that some other time but then out of nowhere here comes a segment where this nice old lady's trying to clean up her son's jizzed up pants that's right at a dry cleaner and then toxic just kills her and you're like and you and i looked at each other and it was like that that better pay off. And then all of a sudden, there's this info dump immediately after in the next sequence. Well, turns out she was in this uh, uh, real big crime ring, and she was... Oh, like, she, <laughs> turns out she was the mastermind behind a white slavery ring. <laughs> like the most awful, vile thing you could think of and just then, to justify the, it. And then the mayor, the chief's reaction, oh, we got to cover this up. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it's... It's part. It's one of his superpowers where he can sense if you're evil. If you've done something really fucked up in your life, Toxie's going to know about it, and he's going to wipe you out. That's true. Uh, which surprises me that he doesn't uh, doesn't go after the chief of police sooner for his um, 
yeah. clear Nazi sympathizing. Oh my god, they're, they're not even subtle about it. Like the, his first line is "Achtung," yeah. and there up goes the arm. Up goes the arm, and and for the rest of the movie, it's just like played up really. Just they don't give a shit about subtlety in this point, and it's funny too because um, one of the uh, henchmen, uh, Cigar Joe or Cigar Cigar, C- Cigar Face, Cigar Face, that's his name. Um, he plays uh, one of the uh, members of the police. In uh, Citizen Toxie, Toxic Avenger Part 4, and he's a total white supremacist Nazi. He's even got the Hitler stash and everything. And he's always spewing rhetoric that had to have come from a hastily scribbled manifesto. It's the same actor and, oh, God, just the little bridges that make these movies come together. Just give me the warms and fuzzies. What do you think Lloyd Kaufman's saying about about the state of the higher-ups in in police? Uh, I think back in the day... Um, I, this is me speaking to what I just garnered in information throughout my life. Um, as apparent as corruption is now and as violent as police are now, they were probably far fucking worse back in the day. I can't say this for a fact, but there was definitely civil unrest. I mean, and not only that, but, uh, uh, a general mistrust. I mean, what did they used to call police office, officers back in the 70s and the 80s? They used to call them pigs. And that didn't come from a vacuum. So when you see a movie like The Toxic Avenger, where Toxie uh, takes on the, the branches of this corruption and is gunning straight for the top, uh, Mayor McCheese or whatever he's called, <laughs> and then, of course, the Nazi uh, police chief, um, who gets off scot-free, by the way, at the end of the movie. I didn't like that. Um, I think it's uh, another part of what we were saying earlier. As far as uh, a social awareness is concerned, mm-hmm. I think it was all in the subtext of The Toxic Avenger. If you even want to apply something like subtext underneath a movie like this, you're more than welcome to because there's plenty of room for it. Oh, yeah. I'm always happy to get into the subtext of the schlockiest uh most over the top Mm -hmm. because even uh when the kids and the one okay police officer are getting together like Mm -hmm. well we gotta go stop them we gotta save toxic and then uh the police guy's like but we can't do that we're we're nobody Mm -hmm. we're we're the little people yeah police officer (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly i'm incapable of doing anything i think that actually says more to white male impotence than anything else but i mean what are you gonna do you're a dumb kid you're a fry cook at a nacho store yeah right um the the little people in this movie ultimately are the folks that end up saving the toxic avenger um because and this is one of the Funniest and best setup moments and probably the most expensive fucking thing that Lloyd Kaufman ever did was he assembled two gigantic tanks, a whole bunch of people in uh, National Guard paraphernalia. Everyone's got their rifles aimed at uh, Toxie's tent because him and his uh, girlfriend Sarah have diminished into the wilderness in shame. Um, They have them cornered and they're asleep. They don't even know that they're out there. They unzip it and there are all these people here at the kill you and everyone's conflicted. It's like, here wants them dead. And this cop's like, I gotta follow orders, but this doesn't seem right to me. And it's like, dude from the National Guard's like, the governor told me otherwise, but we'll see what happens. And then all these people are wearing, I'm with the monster. I love the monster. I love monster hero. Yeah. Um, I think what drives the point home is also in Citizen Toxie, where where Toxie gets shifted to an alternate universe and his evil version comes to Tromaville. 
And Toxie, this happened right during a terrorist attack where he stopped the bomb and the explosion switched him over. Evil Toxie, Noxie. Yeah, that's right. I remember Noxie. (laughs) Noxie comes out and everyone's like, hey, Toxie's a hero. And he's like, fuck you. And (laughs) um, everyone's like, Toxie's a hero. And he just rips off the arms of the police chief and beats him to death with him. And everyone's just like, yeah, Toxie. You know, like, (laughs) what do you? We still love him, I guess. He's a hero. They stand by him because he's been a hero, a champion for the little people his entire career as a superhero. And insofar as you can use that for as extreme, I mean, as far as you want to go comedically with that, you're, there's a lot of space for it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really funny stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's usually involving Toxie fighting off bad guys. Uh, my favorite scene, of course is the scene in the Mexican restaurant called The Mexican Place. (laughs) Uh, Conveniently, uh, you know, they've got samurai swords on the walls and, um, you know, pipes. Pipes that can be used to trap a thug in a fry basket. Yeah, but samurai swords at a place called The Mexican Place. Samurai swords. That are hanging on the wall. I've seen worse decoration at a at <laughs> at like ethnically diverse restaurants. Like, see, it it's just one of those things where you can like spot the uh, points in the movie where like uh, Kaufman had to work around the budget that he had. Um, like, there's that moment where Bozo and his little uh, henchmen are like in broad daylight and they want to go cream people with their car, but for some reason they switch it over to another car because that's the car they got. To destroy. That's yeah. the one they could afford to destroy. How would you like to be behind the wheel of a beautiful Japanese import? So like, hey, how would you like to boost a nice Japanese import? And this is a nice little old lady and they fucking beat her to death in the middle of the street and steal the car and, and try to go run over little kids or whatever. And it's like, you had a a car the entire movie that you could use. Why didn't they just use the same car? They had to work around it. Yeah. As they were well, going they, on. They worked it in. They're like, uh, they made it my, work. My girlfriend's not here with the car and I'm stressing out. Yeah, she's stressing me out, man. It turns out she's actually murdered. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. that's the, the one kind of dirty thing that makes me feel weird about yeah. Toxie is that he just kind of stalks and gets revenge on the... The two women that are involved. And they're just as evil as the dudes. Yeah. I mean, but killing a guy is one thing that's fine. But I'm not saying that like he's stalking poor defenseless damseled women because they obviously show their agency and how the fun how much fun they get out of killing people. And that's one of the best parts about this movie is that they the people who are evil in this movie are fucking evil. They don't make people that evil who just gleefully go, I'm gonna kill you and this is gonna be hilarious. No, yeah. this is the kind of movie where one of the characters is actively masturbating to Polaroids of dead kids with yeah. their heads head smashed head in. smashed in right. So when she gets killed, the act is justified in in, in cinematic terms. But technically, still, technically, I don't even know if she got killed. I just know that she got her butt burned real bad. I mean, she had to have died. I mean, Toxie doesn't go halfway. Well, just, I, she at least got a real bad butt burn. Yeah, at the very least. Um, that was I think that was the only time where I was like getting into weird zone as I do with a lot of these trauma mm-hmm. movies where I was like, come on, this is a little too much. But they yeah, throw in a pool or something. Yeah, they they didn't go overboard with it like they did in 
Sergeant Kabuki, man. Like, they did in practically every other goddamn movie I can list mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Um, if, if, if it's a film that Leonard Maltin liked, odds are you're probably going to like it, too, which means that it didn't show anything that was too horrific or obscene. But it is not without its violence. That is true. Speaking of violence, mm-hmm. uh, there are some, there's some pretty decent-looking cheap effects in here in this movie. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking while we were watching this, like if Lloyd Kaufman went back and did a special edition mm-hmm. of the Toxic Event, like a la George Lucas, right. um, you know he would have spliced in the Sergeant Kabuki man car explosion. Mm-hmm. Like he would have cut that in there because why wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, last week I, I brought up uh, the story of Ricky, mm-hmm. and there's so much more head smashing in this movie than there is in Sergeant Kabuki Man. Yes, you have the scene in the spa where the uh, spa's designated drug dealer mm-hmm. is selling his goods, his wares. Um, he has a meeting with the mayor, where the mayor's like, "All right, count it. We'll count it up later." And then the health spa drug dealer just a little bump mm-hmm. and then gets down to do some weightlifting uh and then i'm just like i know I, yep this yep, is what's you know gonna exactly happen where it's going. uh and the after the weights are dropped on his head there's like a partial like the bottom part of his skull is there and his tongue sticking out it's a really nice looking effect it was because they uh cut back and he's like and half his head's gone like it's just his body going into spasms and it looked not real, but it looked as good as that's going to look in a trauma movie. Um, there's that other bit where the guy gets a shotgun blast to his chest, and he actually looks like he has a sucking like lung wound right mm. in the middle of his chest. They shoot a dog, a golden retriever, and that looked real? That looks real gross. Yeah, it, it did. They even gave a reaction shot to the dog that's kind of lying there. And I was like, ah! Yeah, I didn't know. Ah, that was effective. <laughs> it was, what's funny is that it's, it's five minutes later in the movie, yeah. and the dog is so clearly just laying there panting, but with Guts painted all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that was like Lloyd Kaufman's loyal best friend of a dog. Oh, I'm sure that dog made it out all, all right. Lloyd Kaufman's not a monster. <laughs> no, but uh, the the monster of the day, the Toxic Avenger, they never call him the Toxic Avenger. Mm-hmm. He's referred to as Monster Hero and Melvin. Right. Um, it's because originally they weren't, uh, they didn't uh, have the name the Toxic Avenger. Right. They were going to call it something like, uh, you know, Hell... Hell Health Spa, something, something <laughs> it stupid. Was, yeah, it was uh, originally meant to be a high concept where the mon- you root for the monster instead of uh, rooting for the teenage shitheads. And then they realized what they had going with it and ran with it. And, of course, it became like this huge big-time thing that spawned an animated series. You remember the Toxic Crusaders? Uh, very vaguely. Crusaders, like I, I, I have that theme song tattooed in my brain. It came out right around the time when the Ninja Turtles were blowing up on cartoons. Like this was right at the time where we had like things like Street Sharks and uh, Battle Toads, Battle Toads, and yeah. shit like that. So Toxic Crusaders fit perfectly within this mold. I mean, it was scaled back to the point where you wouldn't even recognize it. I mean, even Toxie looks like this like gee whiz Disney character. Um, Belvin trips into radioactivity and turns into the Toxic Avenger. So, well, yeah, you can't have him 
you can't have him uh, like have a carry level uh, shame scene where he sh- you know, throws himself out of a window lest he dies of shame. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, nerds weren't openly allowed to make out with uh, vague sheeps dressed as women. Yeah, it's such a weird thing to look back at because it is such an uh, artifact of its time. Like you look at movies like Revenge of the Nerds or Porky's or Meatballs, like you mentioned, and there was a dichotomy put in place that we're still batting back somehow. Like you, I, I run into people all the time that consider things to be stupid because they're nerdy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, what were the last five movies you saw in the movie theater? I guarantee you, three of them were Marvel movies. Like, don't front. Like, geeks have geeks haven't inherited the world. So, like, to watch a movie where you know. People who are different or are, um, are special. Mental, mentally challenged. I was going to use the word special. <laughs> um, or or any anything deemed to be less than uh, the status quo to be held down like that is it's kind of rough to watch now because, like, I guess we we live in a more permissive society, a more inclusive society. Inclusive. There are still people that are, are outright assholes that are perfectly exemplified by the assholes in this movie Mm -hmm. but um there's a thrill that a visceral thrill that comes with somebody who can just say no more and dunk their heads in garbage cans and beat their balls with a mop stick until they they they're singing uh what's what's the highest pitch uh yeah so that high. That high. <laughs> like there, there's Real nothing, high. There's nothing better than falsettos. watching... Right, falsettos. There's nothing better than watching a guy come along and just kick bad guy ass. Like, And that's the one thing that trauma does. It plays our emotions like a fiddle. It's like, oh, this is fucking horrible. Thank God this hero showed up to mercilessly murder all these bad guys. Oh, man, look how many times the bad guys got hit in the nuts. Mm-hmm. But that's not, you know, it's not limited to that. No, uh, Toxie gets hit in the nuts quite a bit. He does, mostly by his girlfriend. I was gonna say, uh, it's like for- love is love is blind yes. in the trauma universe. Mm-hmm. So Toxic Avenger's girlfriend has to be blind, of course. Um, and their scene of lovemaking was actually quite <laughs> I can't say it actually quite <laughs> tasteful. It, as far as that goes, I mean, it wasn't as tasteful as the Sergeant Kabuki Man love scene, where they. You know, they have like it almost looks like it's basically filmed, they have a curtain, like like filmed through a curtain, like like a body of evidence or some <laughs> shit. Yeah, um, silk stockings. Right. Uh, it's it's just straight up. We're gonna fuck on a pile of garbage because this is where I live, and you love me, and we accept each other, and we're both you know consenting adults, and <laughs> we're going to show our love physically now, and that's pretty much how it boils down. My little Melvin. He must have finally reached puberty. What else? What else is there to say about this movie? Uh, well, I mean, I could go on at length talking about trauma in general, but um, insofar as the Toxic Avenger is concerned, I think it is one of the best gateways into this weird, wild universe. If you have the stomach for it, if you have the uh, temperament for it, for really challenging body humor and uh, racial humor. And uh, stereotypical humor. If you've got the the fortitude to sit through stuff like that, Toxic Avenger is your gateway drug, and it is a deep rabbit hole. And let me tell you something. Uh, I have had the personal pleasure of watching the Toxic Avenger in a theater with Lloyd Kaufman, amongst oh. others, oh. back in two thousand four. I want to say two thousand three. Um, 
I was working for Madstone Theaters, which was a high concept of let's do an art house with some big releases so to try to stay foot alive. the bill. <laughs> yeah, it turned out not to really work. But yeah. um, for a time, there was a, a real awesome effort put into this place to bring artists, to bring independent filmmakers to show their movies. Um, we did this with one of my all-time favorite films, The American Astronaut, sure. still like so close to my heart. Mm. And we did the, a weekend with Troma. We watched uh, Citizen Toxie and The Toxic Avenger. And I had the pleasure of having a beer with Lloyd Kaufman afterward. Wow. And, you know, he, he has that like manic kind of facade. Because uh, he's a showman. He's on all exactly. the time. Well, we sat down and he just kicked back and he was just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I just really love making movies. Yeah. You know, and if I can make movies like this and then can encourage other people to make movies that they want to make their way, then I'm happy. Yeah. And if my audiences are happy, I'm happy. Kaufman's been a longtime hero of mine. I mean, you never want to know too much about your heroes. So I've actively tried to avoid <laughs> any, any anecdotal stories about Lloyd Kaufman. But insofar as all his promotional videos for all his films, like he's just he's right now trying to get funding for I think he actually nailed it uh, for Return to Newcomb High Volume 2. Mm -hmm. um, if they can get that finished, that would be awesome. I haven't seen Volume 1 yet. I know. Neither have I. We should probably get on that as soon as we can. Um, but uh as long as Lloyd Kaufman is around making trauma movies, I will be there watching them. Mm -hmm. And you see his effects everywhere else in uh, fringe cinema, mm -hmm. you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. He's even in that movie. Yeah, well, that's because James Gunn. That's right. Uh, got his start with Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. He uh, co-wrote uh, Tromeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can see in his later, James Gunn's later works, Super and Slither. Definitely Slither. Um, and then to a lesser extent, and on a, like a broader sense, being Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. you can see the influences of someone who knows how to make a movie without uh, without having all the resources. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if like Marvel Brass was like, well, we went over your screenplay and we've decided that your uh, film will be budgeted at this amount. And they wrote it down and slid the piece of paper across the desk at him. And he went, okay. And he did it a quick equation and like minus it by at least a hundred mil. And he was like, ah, I can do it for that. I don't need that much money. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. Right. Uh, that's the joy of, uh, the joy of independent cinema and of mm -hmm. people who like Lloyd Kaufman, right. Michael Hertz, uh, who take their creativity mm -hmm. and their wherewithal and their go get them spirit. And they make trash like toxic Avenger stuff that we can sit down and enjoy time after time. I think the easier way to say that would say, the Legacy of Trauma. Legacy of Trauma. He became the Toxic Avenger, the first superhero from New Jersey. So speaking of the Legacy of Trauma, mm -hmm. I've got a question for you, Jared. Can't wait. Of the entire milieu of trauma movies, mm -hmm. right? we've only scratched the surface with two. If we ever decided to do a trauma spectacular, the sequeling... Oh. What would be your number one choice for us to sit back with? Oh, oh, that would be tough. If they got Return to Newcomb High Volume 2 out, I would say one week, Volume 1, second week, Volume 2, and it would be like 
our first impressions of a movie we had never seen before, which we haven't done in a while for Anti Monitor. True. I think that would be really cool. But if that doesn't uh, if that doesn't come to be within a reasonable amount of time, I would probably pick. Did I say maybe? I mean, definitely. Class of Nukem High. I mean, there have been sequel upon sequels to this thing, and of course, we're getting returned to Nukem High. But um, there's just something about the concept of it itself that uh, I, I enjoy to this day. I mean, it's just as manic and fun. It's uh, before Terror Firma came along and kind of blew the trauma watt for me. Uh, Nukem High was about as insane as I wanted it to get. Mm-hmm. It took me well beyond that, but I was like, oh, this is as far as I could go. And then, you know, I got pushed over the edge much later. So if, if we're going to sit down and watch another one, I vote Class of Nukem High. What about you, Bert? Well, you know, I loved Class of Nukem High. We actually watched that together a we few did. years ago. That's right. Speaking of movies that you introduced me to, I would go with one of your favorites, Poultry Geist. Poultry Geist, Night, Night of the Chicken of Dead. The chicken Dead. Whoa! That movie is so ridiculous. It is. That, that's up there as far as how far you can uh, take the ideas yeah. that trauma has always been about. Yeah. It goes to an extreme that makes me uncomfortable in terms of it's a musical. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, these are not songs. Like, there's one song in the middle of the movie where the boys courting the girl and they're both in their underwear and it's in this big pink bedroom and it gets kind of, and it goes on for way too long. I think it's like five minutes long, this song. And it starts to feel like a porn is about to begin. Like it's right there. It's like any minute now, someone's going to whip out the dangus and they're going <laughs> to start getting to it. Um, I'd be down. That, that sounds like a, a twofer I would do. I tell you the, uh, the number of references inside Poultry Geist. The fact that all the characters are vaguely named of fast food yeah. uh, icons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them is a walking, talking Colonel Sanders, but he's more like uh, Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> uh, both of whom I'm a huge fan of. Sure. Foghorn Leghorn and Colonel Sanders. Yeah, one ate the other, though. I'm a big fan of uh, Paco Bell. Paco Bell, yeah. But that's the kind of stuff you, you have to go in knowing that this, this is about to be... Get some of the most ridiculous shit you'll ever watch in your life. And mm-hmm. that's something that I will always love about trauma. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll visit it again. And we will. And that's all the time we have this week for Anti-Monitor. Thank you, as always, for listening. Bertie, thank you for watching this trauma twofer with me. Oh, it was my pleasure. Oh, it was mine. Look us up on social media. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LO. We have it all. But make sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes. We need more. We have little. We need more. We need you. We need your support. So if you're listening, please give us a rating. Give us uh, a subscription if you haven't done that already. And uh, look us up on social media. We will say hello. In the meantime, I am Jared Jones. The guy across from me remains Birdman. And from all of us at DoomRocket.com. You fat slob, let's see if you have any guts. <laughs> 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 <laughs>